Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you guys for braving our own apocalypse to come out today. I'm so proud of all of you. You made it in. Look at that. That's impressive. They're probably going to like close schools tomorrow and we're like, ah, we're in the middle of it. We don't really care. We're going for it, right? So uh, thank you guys for showing up today. Uh, today we are talking about the end times. So I hope you're excited. Hope you're ready for this. I feel like uh, our culture has like this kind of like obsession with the end times. Have you guys noticed this? Like there's a lot of movies going about, uh, shows, books, that kind of stuff. Like we're really kind of concerned about this thing. I know you guys are worried about it, so I listed out my top five uh, end times franchises. Are you ready for these? Walking Dead, big fan, uh, but also gave up after like three seasons. I don't know what's why it's still going on. Uh, the Road by Cormac McCarthy, the book, the movie's all right, fine, whatever. Uh, Zombieland, surprise pick there, yeah. Uh, Mad Max, how can you not like it, you know? Like, I'm really scared for them when they, like, reboot the franchise entirely and it's just, like, Teslas with solar panels rolling around. That's going to be a sad day. But you know it's coming, right? Uh, and then finally, Wally. Yeah, that's the real dark horse of this entire list, right? That's a true, like, post-apocalypse. You don't even know it until you get a little ways into it, right? And then you're like, oh, snap, this is not good. So, uh, anyway, those are Josh's top five. And we actually watched one last night for research purposes, right? Also, it was cold. We weren't doing anything. We watched Leave the World Behind on Netflix. I don't know if anybody saw this. Uh, and then we ended up talking about, like, you know, prepping for the next hour, right? Like, I started, like, literally pulling up Amazon. I'm like, do I need buckets of food? What do I need to do? My main takeaway, honestly, was that I need to start hoarding, very seriously hoarding uh, DVDs. That was, like, the big takeaway. It's like, if I, as long as I have a million DVDs, I should be fine uh, because the streaming services will be no more once this foreign power invades us and we'll all be sad, right? But as long as I have friends on, you know, like, DVD all ten seasons, I should be all right. That's the main takeaway from that movie. Uh, hopefully, you're going to walk away with some better takeaways today, but I must confess uh, that in talking about the end times, I really, really, really am not all that well-versed. I'm sorry, I'm not that guy. Uh, I try, I really do, and I take it very, very seriously. I try to be like enough of an expert on what I'm talking about so that you guys get what you need. Like I, I take it very, very seriously when I get up here and sort of try and dive into God's word that I actually like know what I'm talking about. Uh, but this whole like world, uh, you could call it eschatology. That's kind of like the fancy seminary word for it. Or like thinking and knowing about the end times. Uh, I just don't really know enough about. Um, and I think it comes from two things. The first is that uh, it's of very little interest to me. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's like trying to watch a trailer and guess what the movie is about a little bit, you know? Like it just kind of, I'm not really sure why I need to know all of this stuff necessarily down to like the last detail. Statistically speaking, I'll probably meet my own individual death before the end times come. If you think about that, Jesus told us this was going to happen uh, 2,000 years ago, and a lot of people have lived and died thinking that the end times were going to be in their lifetime, uh, and it just haven't actually happened. Uh, and I feel like I'll find out a lot about the end times when it actually hits, or I'll be dead before then, right? 
The second reason I'm not all caught up in this necessarily is that as a scholarly endeavor, you're kind of like doomed a little bit before you even start. Like if you set out to know everything about the end times, you're kind of like setting yourself up for failure to some degree, right? That's why Jesus said this to the Pharisees in John 5. He says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they who bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This highlights a lot of what we've been talking about in Matthew, actually, that these Pharisees were supposed to be the ones who knew the most about the Old Testament, who were seeing all of these prophecies, and now we look back at the Old Testament and we go, oh man, I see what Daniel was talking about there. He was talking about Jesus. We're like, oh man, Isaiah was clearly talking about Jesus. And then these guys who are in the New Testament had those passages like memorized. And then they had Jesus standing right in front of them and they were like, I don't know, when's this Messiah going to get here, right? And they're like, quit talking water and wine guy. Like, we don't want to hear your opinion on this. Like, we're waiting on the Messiah. He's going to show up soon. I kind of feel like if the Old Testament to New Testament transition should show us anything, there's a very good chance that that's actually how we're going to, like, you know, perceive the end times. Like, the odds of us just knowing and studying and looking through Scripture enough to actually, like, understand and be able to, like, see all of these, like, signs as perfectly clear as we want to are pretty slim because, really, prophecy is best understood in hindsight. You can't fully understand something that uh, is prophesied about until it actually comes true. Jesus actually seems to suggest the same idea in our passage today. Here's three different examples. Now, I know Danielle just read a lot of scripture, and so props for her on that. I'm going to read a lot more as we're going through this, but I just want to highlight these three parts where Jesus is kind of saying, like, I'm not sure that you can completely know either, right? This is verse 4. He says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. That is not a statement telling you of how you can know better. That's sort of a statement of saying, like, you can't really, really know. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Last one, verse 36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so he's referencing Noah, right? You're with me so far. So as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It says in verse 38, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now do you see that analogy there? Like God was telling Moses, hey, you need to build an ark. It's going to start raining. You need to collect all of these animals. And Jesus here is reminding us that while all of that was happening, there were lots and lots of people who may have been like in the town over and they were just like going about their daily lives. They were, you know, eating and drinking. They were giving in marriage. They were being married. 
you know, like somebody was like conceivably on their wedding day and they're like, huh, what, what's this stuff coming down from the sky, right? And then somebody else was like, it's like rain on your wedding day, right? And then they were like, that's not funny. It's our wedding day. So then it starts raining more and then they're like, well, it's not going anywhere. It's kind of like rising, like all this stuff is kind of slowly happening around them until eventually they get swept away. Jesus is letting you know that it, that's what it's going to be like when he returns. It's going to kind of come out of nowhere. It's going to be surprising. So, I've done a very weird thing in the intro to this sermon. I've told you a lot of reasons why you shouldn't dive deeper into parts of Scripture. And that is not exactly my intention at all. In fact, if this is something that God is calling you to look more deeply into, I highly encourage you to go ahead and do that. I'm just trying to make sure that you see here from even Jesus himself telling you that you might not be able to even fully figure all of this out. I mean, this text is important because it's, uh, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for us, but what do we do with it, right? Like, I don't think that the answer when we read a text like this is that we need to, like, buy some red yarn and start, like, you know, making one of those, like, serial killer, like, mood board kind of things up here with, like, all these different end-time things. I'm not going to start selling, like, Dwell Church branded go bags and freeze-dried meals or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. Like, we're, I don't think that's the answer. And the answer is also not that we just skip passages of Scripture that are hard to understand or uh, difficult to deal with. Instead, I want to walk through this passage faithfully, believing that God has some good for us here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on what Jesus is telling us to do in light of this confusing and hard-to-read information. All right, so what is Jesus actually telling us to do? This is an idea that you'll see if you study scripture a lot. There are things that are in scripture that are descriptive, and there are things that are prescriptive. Okay, so descriptive is uh, things that describe what is going on, and prescriptive are things where uh, God is telling us something to do. And so today, we are going to see what Jesus prescribes for us to do in reaction to what he is telling us for the end times. And I believe there are four parts in this passage where Jesus tells us how to react to this. The first one is don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Just chill, right? It's not like it's the end of the world. Oh, no, that's not that. The one time that doesn't apply, right? All right, that was a pity laugh, but I'll take it. Uh, seriously, check it out. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. You see, Jesus is saying this crazy stuff is going to go down, but see to it that you are not alarmed. There's going to be all kinds of craziness going around, but don't freak out. Now, do you know that there are people all around you, there are people near you or maybe even like on your news feed who just are certain that like the end times are happening, right? That like war in Israel must be like this sign and this is happening and you got to see this. In fact, I know a guy uh, that calls himself a pastor uh, that legitimately thinks and tells his congregation every other Sunday uh, that Hillary Clinton is Jezebel and that the whole Old Testament is like this, you know, scheme where like you have Trump as Josiah and I don't know like Bernie Sanders is Ezekiel. I'm not really sure where it like all falls down, but like he has it labeled of just like, well, this is happening and this is happening. And then he kind of gives you that look where he's like, maybe you're the sheep since you don't see all this, right? I mean, there are people that just go that deep into all of this stuff. There are people that are just pushing this idea that the end times is what we're living in right now. 
And even aside from that, I think coming from this passage where Jesus talks about there being wars and rumors of wars, but we shouldn't be alarmed, it makes me think about like the way that it's kind of just like scary to be alive these days. Because you just have so much knowledge of all of this terrible stuff that's going on all the time, all around the world. I mean, if you want to look for it, you could find like a bad news story like once every second of every single day, right? Like it's just the constant news cycle. It's pushing all of this sort of like horrible stuff that's happening. In fact, I actually looked it up. The UN estimates that war deaths, so death caused directly by war, have been on a steady decline since World War II. And truly, less people are dying because of war than any time, or less people today are dying because of war than any time in the past 100 years. Praise God, right? But does it feel that way? No. It feels exactly the opposite, right? Isn't that kind of like a strange byproduct of living in 2024 that, like, we're so aware of so much terrible stuff that is happening all the time, and yet, uh, in some ways, life is actually getting better. We have better medicine. We have better ways to track and respond to natural disasters. We have better capacities to move resources around the planet to people that need it. And yet it feels like everything keeps getting worse and worse and worse and everything is going wrong and the end is nigh. I don't need to tell you guys about this thing called uh, the Internet. It came out a few years ago. Uh, it's kind of a big deal. And uh, we realized actually very recently that social, medias, social media companies have decided there are two things that drive interactions, uh, things that you like and things that you hate. Right? Like, those are the two big things. And so, uh, if you've ever scrolled for 10 minutes on Facebook, you've seen it, right? Uh, you've got that one thing that's like a picture of your, you know, new niece that was just born, and then next to that is just something that riles you up, and you're like, I cannot believe people think this way. How did this get on my news feed? Well, it's because uh, you clicked on that one and you read 50 comments, right? You were like, oh, that's fascinating. I want to see what everyone else, are they as mad as I am? Surely they are, right? And then they sold you seven ads, and uh, now you have a Roomba, right? Like, uh, uh, it's a thing, it's a process, and that's how they make their money, and it's fine. But all of that to say, like, it should make us very, very suspicious of the type of information that we're receiving. The same is true of the news, right? Like, a bad story probably sells even better than a good one. And I'm not just trying to be, like, Debbie Downer up here. I definitely don't think it's my job just to, like, you know, pick apart modern media or something like that. I just feel like... If it is true that we are being intentionally inundated with tons and tons and tons of terrible things, and it's easier today maybe than even times past to get swept up in the idea that the world is all coming to an end, we need to take seriously Jesus' admonition here to not be alarmed. In fact, he said I'm not really going to talk about the end time stuff, but just briefly I can talk about the end time stuff. There's actually a very compelling case to say that most of the stuff that Jesus is prophesying happened in the generation immediately following Jesus. Like before some of the people who are, or who are standing there listening to him uh, died, a lot of this stuff came true in like some degree. The gospel was actually taken to the known world at the time, so it wasn't covering the whole world. Uh, the temple was actually destroyed in 70 AD, so Jesus starts talking about the temple being destroyed. That literally happened uh, before like some of these people who are standing around actually passed away. And there's compelling scholarship to say that, like, all of this stuff that Jesus is talking about, all of these wars, all of these famines, actually occurred during this time. And so maybe even what Jesus is saying is, hey, like, this stuff is going to happen. It's going to happen really soon. It's going to happen to you guys. And then at a later date, I'm going to come back. And so a lot of our, like, you know, trying to, like, discern the tea leaves and understand the signs of all of this stuff may not even be helpful. 
right? It may have already happened. Now, I don't really know the answer to that question, and maybe I should have a stronger opinion about it, but uh, I think you guys heard all of my reasons for not having them before. I'm just saying all of that to say, again, let it be another reason why we ought to not be alarmed, why we ought to chill out a little bit. It's a lot like the rest of life. Like, you probably need a plan for a fire in your home, but that doesn't mean that you should carry around a fire extinguisher all the time. Like, that'd be kind of crazy. You might should be careful if, like, a shady character approaches you on the street, but you shouldn't preemptively punch someone in the face. Like, uh, you should probably be scared of getting in a car wreck, but if you're living, like, in a constant state of heightened awareness because you think you're about to get in a car wreck, you will get in a car wreck, right? Like, there is a bad way of living that is heightenedly, or has a heightened awareness of being afraid. Watch for the end of the world, but don't be alarmed. I have two sort of ideas of how you do this. It was very funny, actually, during, uh, during sermon meeting this week. I was just like, don't be alarmed. And that was all that I had in it. And they were like, how? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Figure that one out yourself, right? It's kind of like when you're in like a bad mood and somebody's like, hey, man, calm down. You're like, that makes me matter, right? So I don't want to do that. So here are some suggested ways for how you might be alarmed or not be alarmed. The first is to join me in actively avoiding anyone talking about the end times all the time, right? You know who that guy is, right? I don't even engage those conversations, even though they're drawn to me like a magnet because there is probably 25% of people uh, that if they say that they're Christians and you tell them that you're a pastor, all of a sudden they're like, yes, all right, here we go. So what are you, you like pre-trib or post-trib? Like, what do you think about the thousand-year reign? And I'm like, I don't know. And that kills them. They just, they don't like that, right? If I say I don't know, they're like, well, good. I'm going to tell you for the next three hours what I think about all of those things. And I get very confused and whatever. I'm just sort of like, I stand back and I go, hey, I'm a no-spoilers kind of guy. Like, I'll, you know, we'll see, right? Like, uh, hopefully we're both in heaven together. And then you can tell me if you were right or not. You know, like, I don't know. I don't get into that, right? Even more than that, when you hear don't be alarmed, I want you to, like, think about this for, uh, as a way to maybe sort of, like, take down if, you, if you're a person that's prone to being alarmed, like let's turn down the temperature a little bit of that. You can think about it like this. Jesus is kind of like the pilot of this spaceship that we're on called Earth, right? Think about that one for a second. Spaceship, we're flying. I mean, so uh, Jesus is the pilot. He gets on the intercom and he's like, hey, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I won't do that anymore. That's annoying. Anyway, he's like, uh, don't be alarmed. Uh, some stuff is going to happen, but we're telling you not to be alarmed. Now, uh, that may not necessarily instantly calm you down, but at the end of the day, like, isn't the pilot the one who knows what they're doing? Isn't the pilot the one who's in control of the ship? Isn't the pilot the one who knows what you're about to hit? He can see, he's the only one that can see out the, like, front of the window, right? Like, the pilot is the only one that actually has controls to be able to drive this thing. And so it's Jesus here who is driving all of human history and existence, and he is the one telling you not to be alarmed. Shouldn't that give us some comfort? Like at the end of the day, the son of the God who created the entire universe is telling you, hey guys, chill out a little bit. The world is going to come to an end, but I am still in control. I'm still driving this ship. I'm still in charge. Trust to the sovereignty of God. Second, Jesus reminds us that we should be pro proclaiming the gospel. 
Verse 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I don't know what like theological implications this has. Uh, the, like I said, it's been suggested that uh, this is actually accomplished in Jesus' time. Other people sort of like read this to mean that like one day somebody's going to share the gospel to that last person who had never heard, and then boom, the end times are like ushered in. Uh, I don't really know, right? But what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that there will be a moment, uh, whether it is like you know forthcoming or not, whatever, uh, when every person on earth will have had the opportunity to hear the gospel, or the gospel will have been brought to every region on earth. Now, I don't know uh, about how that's actually going to look, but I did look up some statistics. There's a, a company called the Joshua Project, uh, and they're a nonprofit who research gospel presence in uh, people groups across the world, and they estimate that there are 7,246 unreached people groups in the world and by their definition, unreached is less than 5% identify as Christian, less than 2% identify as biblically faithful and gospel-centered believers. So less than 5% identify as Christian, less than 2% identify as uh, what you might call evangelical. So what that tells us is there are still places on earth, in fact, 7,246 people groups on earth that have not yet been fully reached by the gospel. There's still work to be done. And suffice it to say that when Jesus was telling us about the end times, he was assuming that we would be sharing the gospel on the way to that. That the gospel or good news is simply this, that the Son of God lived a perfect life, died an unlawful death, and came back to life. Also that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and everything that we have done wrong and enjoy heaven forever with him. He is saying that before his return, he is expecting us to be taking that message to people who don't yet know it. That we might be sharing that good news with people who have not yet experienced it. Next, Jesus tells us to be suspicious. He says in verse 33 or 23, it says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This, I think, is a simple idea but kind of hard to understand. Because at some point, like... If you take away anything from this, you should see that Jesus is going to return, right? He's letting everyone know that. And at some point, someone's going to say, look, here is Jesus, and they're actually going to be right, right? But before that, lots and lots and lots of people are going to say, look, here is Jesus. And they will be very wrong, and they will probably be your uncle, and they will be on Facebook, right? And they will just be blowing it up like Jesus is returning, and they'll be like, well, I tell you. With everything going on in Washington these days, Jesus will be back soon. You mark my words, right? Like, you've heard this before. He's coming back. Uh, now, I think what I'm actually going to start doing in reaction to that is, like, offering a bet to people. Like, oh, you bet? You think so? Like, how about in a year you give me a 1000 bucks if he hasn't, right? And the best part about that is if I lose, I don't have to pay anything, right? I want you to think about that one, all right? But that's not the pro tip that I'm trying to give you today. It's actually that you should be suspicious, 
You should be naturally suspicious. Jesus is saying, lots of people are going to say, here's the Christ. The end times are here. It's coming. Look, he is coming in the wilderness. He's coming in the inner rooms. And Jesus is saying it's not going to be true. And I think he is letting us know that because we as followers of Jesus, Christians in fact, sometimes can be gullible. Or so it seems. Did you know uh, that actually one of the largest single demographics that, brought, that bought into the QAnon conspiracy theory were evangelical Christians? Like, isn't that kind of sad? Now, for those of you guys who are anti-news, uh, the QAnon conspiracy, it's, it's true. There's some, like, Gen Z among us. They don't know what this is. They were still children in elementary school, I guess, when this happened. Uh, the QAnon conspiracy was this massive conspiracy theory that, like, you know, there's, like, this hyper elite, and they were, like, eating children or something. I don't even know. I didn't go deep into it. It actually sort of was, like, a major contributing factor to the insurrection on January 6th. And the largest proportion of people that were buying into that conspiracy were evangelical Christians. Like, is that not tragic? Like, does that not, like, cause you some sort of, like, pause? I mean, it's embarrassing to think, like, somebody's like, hey, I'd like to know more about this Jesus guy. And they're like, cool, I'll tell you about QAnon as well, right? Like, that's a tragic idea, and that probably happened, right? Like, that's just terrible. It also presents a very, very sad witness of ourselves to the world. There are entire industries and corners of the internet that are devoted to making all kind of theories and conspiracy theories about the end times. People are actually making a living off of this. Both from the pulpit and from YouTube, there are thousands of people out there who are just living, like making their entire identity and their entire living off of this idea of saying, hey, I think Jesus is coming back now. I say be suspicious, or Jesus actually says it even better, do not believe it. So how do you do that? Well, first, I think you should process claims about the returning of Jesus in community. That's why church is so important, and being a part of a body of believers is so integral to living the faith, because it's so easy for any of us individually to get sideways. Like, you need a group of people that you can sit down in a circle with and be like, hey, I heard this, and they can be like, that's crazy, and you're like, oh, whew, right? Like, uh, or otherwise, we just spiral, right? We all do it. It's a natural thing. Uh, When we're in isolation, it's easier to get swept up and taken away. You also need to process information using discernment from the Holy Spirit and weighing it against the Word of God and even using the best practices of good scholarship. That's why it's important to do good biblical scholarship. I mean, sadly, a lot of these kind of like people that are making their living off of planning for the end times or thinking about the end times, they're throwing out tons of Bible verses. And only through good scholarship and good discipleship can you actually begin to discern when someone is using Scripture appropriately or inappropriately. And finally, simply this, be suspicious and walk through life with a healthy skepticism towards all end times kind of talk. Finally, Jesus cautions us to stay awake. 
Stay awake. He says this in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. And he gives an example of knowing a thief is coming, but I actually like this other example. He gives two examples to this idea. This one's in 45 through 51. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour when he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Perhaps Jesus' admonition to stay awake simply means that we ought to live our lives as if the end is tomorrow. Now, I feel like there's a cultural idea that I'll tell you sort of the exact opposite of the passage that we just read that says, like, if the world's going to end tomorrow, you need to go, like, skydiving, right? Like, you need to, like, uh, rob a bank or do something kind of crazy that you're like, ah, I never would do this. Let me just, like, try and have as much fun as I possibly can before I die. But if God is our master and we are his workers, if we are his ambassadors, if we are his emissaries here on earth, then we should want him to catch us doing his good will. Like we want him to catch us in the act. That's the point of that whole analogy that Jesus is offering here. We want when the master shows back up and surprise us, we want him to see us doing his good work, not see us taking advantage of him leaving us alone. If we were to live our lives with Jesus' admonition of staying awake because you don't know when the Lord is going to come back, I believe we would live a life focused on others. We would live a life thinking about how much we could actually impact the lives of other people. Instead of saying, life is short, so I should enjoy it as much as, we can, as I can, instead, we should be able to say, that we should live life to enjoy heaven as much as possible. Like that's actually a better return on your investment in life. There is true joy. There is true rest. There is true purpose and meaning to life. There is a place where we can be with God forever. We're not in that place. This is the work season. And if our God comes back tomorrow, let him find us working. Let him find us doing the work of showing the kingdom of God to people who need it. Tangibly, by bringing out justice and mercy for people who need it. Let him find us doing the work of caring for the poor, the needy, the imprisoned, those who have been abused, those who have been taken advantage of. Let him find us doing the work of introducing more and more people to the good news of Jesus Christ so that they might enjoy this heaven forever. May the master come back and we rejoice in him finding us working. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard, 
Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.